0: But I was like, can a genuine nobody launch a podcast and make it work? And the day that I launched, Tim Ferriss was number one, Gary Vee was number three, and I was number two. Sandwich between them, like the meat of an influencer sandwich, and everyone was like, how's this random geezer like done this? I made a decision there and then that I wouldn't work for anybody else ever again and have all of my eggs in one basket, because that was kind of the situation that I had. So that was probably the life event that made me go, right, I need to do something for myself, by myself.
1: James Bird, somebody on the face of it appears to have just drifted through life from one job to the next without really knowing what he wanted to do. But when you get underneath the skin of it, he likes media, entertaining, he likes to make people happy and this has been consistent throughout his whole career as he's gone from one job to the next to building up a business and his current business which now supports some of the biggest names in podcasting. My name's Richard Osborne and this is Drive, the small business podcast from UKBF. James, it's lovely to meet you. Thank you for having me, I appreciate it. No, it's brilliant. Uh, you've met or was introduced through my colleague Jacob who's Um, speaks very highly of you and I feel quite under pressure here (laughs) as you're
0: sat here in our podcast studio as a podcast expert. Well, first impressions, I've got to say I'm really impressed. It's a really, really nice setup you guys have got and I've watched some of the content, some of the videos. Um, Yeah, you guys are doing a lot of the right stuff. So from a podcast expert, I'll give you guys an A plus so far.
1: (laughs) Good, got the grid. Yeah, there you go. Certificate on the wall. There you go, Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the um, one of the things uh, sort of found interesting, I had a sort of look through and a bit of digging research about yourself, and you've worked with some pretty substantial organisations, helping them with media, podcasting in particular. Uh, what I'd like to understand, because you're an entrepreneur, you run your own business, and something, in my personal opinion, always leads somebody down that road and I'd love to understand first, tell us about James
0: growing up in school. (laughs) (laughs) Right, there'll be the version that I'll give you and if you ask any of my teachers, there'll probably be a very different version. I guess um, I didn't really like school. I have to be very careful now because I've got a kid who goes to school. I've got a two-year-old and a six-year-old. My wife's like, don't say you didn't like school. Just pretend that you did. I'm not going to lie to him, but I just won't tell him the full truth. I just found it a bit boring and not because I'm of over average intelligence or anything like that I think sometimes you can hear from like geniuses like Elon and um, Elon like we're on first name terms like Elon Musk and they're like oh school was boring because they were just far too intelligent for it I, that wasn't me um, I could kind of like coast coast through school and kind of get away with it and I kind of that's what I perceive it to be I got away with it for a long time I just found it really boring um, and all I decided that I wanted to do when, when I was there was to to laugh make other people laugh have a good time. If you look at any of my report cards, it would be that probably that James is a nice boy, but he's easily distracted and distracts others. Um Class clown was a was a, a label that was levelled at me quite early on and stuck with me throughout the whole of the student career. Um drumming on the table. I got into sort of like the drums at about 13. My mate Ben Broadbridge got a ropey old drum kit, and from then on, we were like, we're gonna be, we're gonna be the next Dave. In the garage,
1: with a load and, of in the kids. garage,
0: exactly. That's so how we always got to for a drumming on the table. But yeah, I am. Um, I didn't think at the time, or even retrospectively for a decade after school, that anything was sort of um, really shaped the direction that I'd go in. But my dad owned his own business, and that's the only thing that I ever knew was him running a, a successful little accountancy firm. So I guess that subconsciously probably had a had an impact on me. But I always had that thing that I didn't really want to listen to people's rules I didn't want to work for anybody else and if I got told that I couldn't do something maybe this is quite formative. if I got told I couldn't do something then I'd be hell-bent on proving that to be an incorrect thesis so I was just I I probably again for my when I left there's a head of year (laughs) Mr. Way who I'll never forget he now goes out with like one of the lads we went to school with his mum which is super weird um but uh (laughs) He said to me, he said, you're either going to become a millionaire or you're going to go to jail. I'm just not sure which one it's going to be. And mm-hmm. I was like, thanks for that. And I haven't gone to jail yet. I also haven't made a million quid yet. I've probably got closer to a million quid than I have to jail, so... That's a, I... positive yeah, 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 a positive. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Positive. Yeah.
1: The, so when you... Um, a couple of bits love to sort of pick up on there. So the obviously coasting through school. So it wasn't... Um, I'm interpreting from that that generally what was being taught, the lessons you was absorbing digesting at a comfortable level is that a fair assumption
0: yeah and i also i I guess i'd proactively take an interest in learning if i thought that it was going to be of use to me and i would very proactively disengage which now as someone who likes learning i'm like what an idiot but things like re for example I again sort of like I don't like rules because I wasn't from a religious family. Well, my nan was super religious, but that didn't work out. She's like, Come and ring the church bells. I'm like, No, I'm all right, thanks, nan. <laughs> um, but that I proactively I didn't want to be forced to learn that stuff because it wasn't of interest to me. But things like history and maths, I knew would be interesting at some level. And when you could choose like options back in the day in GCSEs, yeah. um. <laughs> someone said to me the other day didn't you do o levels i'm not that old um but the options that i chose interestingly was it even though i hated computers because i realized it would be of use and i also did a gmvq in leisure and tourism because it was 70 percent applied um sort of practical expertise and only 30 percent exams so I, I guess i proactively decided that i wanted to use skills that would be transferable to me further down the line but yeah as I say I didn't coast because of having like superior intellect I could just kind of get away with
1: it I guess so you mentioned that you you made your subject choices yeah what did you want to be at that period of time
0: do you know what I didn't think at the time that I knew but when I look back, do you remember you used to get um, a certificate of achievement or a record of achievement, they used to call it, an ROA, like younger watchers and listeners would be like, what the hell are these two old guys talking about? <laughs> but it used to be like this big red bound leather book, almost like this yeah. is your life. Yeah. And in it, and I, and it wasn't until like years later when I read back through, I was like, I can't believe that. I wanted to apparently own a bar. Okay. And I wanted to be a holiday rep. Okay. I've never owned a bar, but I did go on and become a holiday rep. But I always <laughs> wanted to work around entertainment, Leisure and tourism things that basically, if I pull the thread far enough back, that just leads to people being happy. I guess the
1: see, I'm hearing that and I'm looking at what you're currently doing now, yeah, which is performing, yeah. And you your what you wanted to do were you know, a bar I, I, back in early years. I spent work part time as a barman, you are performing on the bar yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah. the uh, and leisure and tourism, and you are working in um entertainment now you're now accountants have a, a, a stigma attached to them as being very <clears throat>
0: grey suit so very serious yeah uh, my dad ticked all of those stereotype boxes as well yeah yeah yeah
1: so you're um, somewhat the polar opposite anybody yeah. listening to this or watching this um, and I'm picking up the energy from you very much you your vocal second performance mm.
0: um,
1: the Having an, a father who ran his own business in accountancy, how did that impact or did it provide any sort of benefit in your sort of latter education and sort of early careers?
0: It's really interesting my dad, because um, he passed away like years ago now, like 10, year, 10 11 years ago. So I, I, I didn't really think that I was a grown up when he died. I know I was like in my 20s, but I didn't have kids. I wasn't married. I didn't have, I just moved into my first house. And that's one of my only sort of, one of the saddest things I look back and I never got to be like a proper grown up with my dad. I never got to be like a dad and have my dad still around. I think that would be, would have been amazing. But at the time I remember thinking, and this was again, just sort of like the angsty sort of teenager in me and that sort of Mm -hmm desire to do anything that people told you you couldn't do I wanted to do it I remember having an awful argument with my dad and I still remember it now um and and I said everything that you are I don't want to be and it's still like oh it cuts me now don't we, we're not going to like Bartlett cry about it even though I know <laughs> Jacob's trying to go down that angle for this podcast episode it's not going to happen or maybe it will but um But I don't even really know because it was just my normal... I was from like a very middle England situation. I lived in the countryside. I lived in like the suburbs. It was all very nice. It was all very vanilla. And I don't know why I wanted to be not from that situation or not from that background. I don't know what I was looking for, but I just didn't want it to be that. So at the time, I think I was like, oh, I don't want to be anything like my dad. How boring to live five minutes from where you work and to have... 25 staff and to have a comfortable life and to drive a Volvo estate and to go to work in a, a great M&S suit mm. and tick all those accountancy um, sort of stereotypes. But now as a, as a dad, as a husband, as a business owner, I'm like, God, he had so much of it right. I just didn't yeah. see it at the time, but I guess it must have subconsciously rubbed off on me. Um, he was a very caring guy, a very generous guy, he was super generous with his time um, very very bright very like I could say to him what's 37 times 54 and he'd just know it he was like just very very bright guy he could still remember fluent French from like when he went there at 15 he was just like one of them weird people um, but equally I guess that work ethic that I would watch every January so you get over yeah. Christmas and then January because of the tax window yeah. he would go into work at 7 o'clock in the morning he wouldn't come home until 7 8 o'clock at night for the whole of January but then at the weekends, he was super present. I guess it was a different time. There wasn't social media and the internet and all that kind of stuff. But he was a very present dad. So again, now that I look back at it retrospectively with enough distance between now and then, I think actually he got so much of it right. And hopefully some of that absorbed into me and, and kind of instilled the sort of the person that I would ultimately still like to become when I grow up, I guess. Um,
1: mindful that obviously said don't want to be like you Mm. where what did you um what was your first career choice and where you know where what did you go on to be first after that yeah so
0: having said i don't want to be anything like you i set my (laughs) sights really really super high and when i worked in retail which i think a lot of people do um in in their sort of formative years my first ever job i was at 13 i was a bunker boy at a golf course Okay. So, I lived in this little posh village called Sear Green, which is between Jared's Cross and Beaconsville. And Beaconsville had this posh, fancy X sort of championship golf club. Uh, and my best mate at the time, he went away, I remember at the weekend, and he's like, Oh, do you want to do my weekend job for me? You get paid £5 pound an hour. And I was like, <laughs> That was like back in the day, like 5 quid an hour, you were a baller. Like, you were, you were making a killing. And um, yes, yeah, so I went and raked the bunkers at four o'clock in the morning. And again, maybe that subconsciously was instilling I'm some work. I'm sitting there thinking
1: my first job was five pound a day. <laughs> I know, yeah.
0: So this, I'd absolutely lucked out. I used to go, and, but then they said to me, because I'd done a good job of the bunkers. I mean, how could you get it wrong? You rake the sand, like it's not that difficult. Um, but because I did a good job. And because I was, I guess when I was a kid, I was super confident, probably bordering on cocky. I would always be comfortable talking to grown ups. My like parents loved me. All, every, all my mates' parents loved me, but I was always the, the one who was getting everyone in trouble. I'd be the one to make us bunk off school, buy the booze, smoke the fags, get in the scrapes. Like, I was always that guy. But my pe- my mate's parents were like, why can't you be more like James? Because I was always polite. And I'd be like, hi, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. How are you today? It was lovely to see you. How's the thing? How's your, how's your mum? Because I know she was very unwell. Like, I could probably turn it on sort of thing. Um, and because of that, you know, I'd meet all these sort of like posh old boys and girls at the golf club. And they just thought I was fantastic. So then when more stuff came up, like driving the buggy at night to pick the the, the balls off the driving range... They offered me to do that, so eventually that, so that was my first job. But then I went to um at secondary school, I finished and got a, a bunch of mediocre GCSEs four C's, five C's, and four B's, five C's, and a U. I don't know why I can still remember it. Um, and this again was Mr. Way said to me, You're either going to become a millionaire or you're going to jail. I'm just not sure which one. I then decided, in my infinite wisdom, I was going to go back to the same school to do sick form college because back in the day you didn't have to stay until you're 18 you could leave at 16 if you wanted to but I was like I'm going to do business studies um, but again just because I don't, as I sort of unravel it and have these conversations I'm like why did I act like such a knob for, for, for apparently no reason but the um, the sick form tutor was going to give me a detention because I hadn't done some coursework or something I was like well you can't tell me that I have to stay after school now because I've here of my own choice so see you later. And they said, Well, you got two options, you either come to the detention, or you, you hand in your notice, and you leave as a student, I went, well, I'll do that one, then, shall I? And in a big sort of blustering bravado, left the classroom, slammed the door, shut the book out the windows, so all my mates were sort of laughing again, class clown yeah. thread carrying on. And I left that was it. So the next day, my dad was absolutely livid. And said, Well, young man, I don't I hope you don't think you're gonna be sitting around here on my dime best that you get your your arse out tomorrow morning and start looking for a job. So I literally printed some CVs. Uh, and again, like a lot of younger people would be like, what's a CV? What you didn't go to read.com? And I literally walked down the high street of the local town and I walked into every shop, again, confident slash cocky young kid with a CV, saying, hey, I'm James. I've got these GCSEs. I'd love to, love to work. I'm looking for, for life and work experience. I'd love to know if you've got any jobs available. And I literally just walked up and down the high street. And there's a suit shop, a wedding hire suit shop called Prenuptia. And there was a, a guy behind the till who wasn't that much older than me. I was 16 and I think he was 23. And um, we just clicked. He said, yeah, I've got I've got a job for you if you want this. You know, you're only good at selling? I was like, I don't know. But we had yeah. enough of a chat. He said, well, you you've sold me on you. So come in and we'll have a go. And that was that was kind of that so was my this, first career. Was this person a, a young entrepreneur in her own sense? Did this young- so his mum and dad, yeah, he was. So he ran a store, but his mum and dad owned like three or four stores. Yeah. So, again, he's pretty very similar to me. He came from like entrepreneurial stock, like his mum and dad owned businesses yeah. and kind of gave him the, the foot up or the so foot in his the door. So
1: at that young age to take yourself Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he
0: ran his mum, I think, ran the because it was a, a sort of a bridal and a groom shop together. Yeah. Um, so, his mum ran the bridal side and he ran the, the suit shop. And he was just an amazing Lewis Watson. I'll never forget him because he sort of got, gave me my first sort of shot and he was amazing at selling. And it was the first person I saw who could like talk people around and basically get them to do what he wanted them to do. And he would get this stock. He's like, Oh, we've got so much of this stock at the moment. And he would like lead people down the path of buying that stock. And I was like, How is he doing this stuff? And he was just, and as I say, because he was just a bit older than me, he was sort of like that big brother figure to me at the time. I was like, Oh, he's super cool. I'm just gonna copy doing what Lewis did. He had a vo- he had a, a VW Golf TDI. I was like, what else do you need in life? He's got he's got a brand new Golf. He's got a nice girlfriend. He's got some money to go out on the weekends. Like he's he's made it. So I just sort of like copied and emulated and just watched what he did and became quite good at selling suits to people. Okay,
1: and and how long was you there for?
0: Oh, eighteen months. Eighteen yeah. months. Two years. Something like that. Yeah, and then I got the itch. I was like. Um, it was just the same, having the same conversation with the same people. And yeah. it's a way, again, when you look back at it, you're playing a role in, because it's, you know, wedding suits, you're playing a, a role in their, the biggest day in somebody's life. Yeah. Um, but even th- those conversations, you're just doing the same thing. And like, do you know what I think it was? That once the game of selling, once I knew how to get people to buy stuff, yeah. it wasn't really a challenge anymore. And maybe that's a thread that actually, as we go through this conversation, will come up more and more often. As soon as something becomes a bit easy, and it's a bit less challenging, then I become probably a bit less engaged with it. And I remember on a Saturday, because Lewis could sell like snow to Eskimos, he's one of those people. And I remember on a Saturday, uh, my whole sort of like early career with him, the aim of the game was to sell more than Lewis. I never told him that I was going to do it, but I was like, let's sell more than Lewis. And I remember some days in this little shop, we'd take thousands of pounds in, because it was expensive gear. I remember, I think I did... I think I did 7,000 pounds in one day in sales and he had done like six, eight and I'd done like seven, one. And I was like, oh, the, 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 the junior has beaten the master. And then again, probably in my head, I was like, well, what else can this guy teach me? Because now I know it all. When you, when you think that you know it all, by the way, you know yeah. absolutely the least. Yeah. But again, you couldn't tell me that at the time because I was just so, so now,
1: sure of myself. The, you're assessing as we're t- you're talking, sort of like learning that sales technique. Mm. from there, and you're sort of looking back and sort of picking up the thread. Is there any part of you at that time uh, that was sitting, because you're in one situation where your father's turned around and said, right, not on my dime, like you get out and get a job. Yeah. And um, I'm picturing a scenario, right, well, I'm just gonna go and get any, just whatever job I can, earn some money. You end up staying there for a year and a half. But uh, people who run their own businesses, the majority of them who I've spoken to in this podcast all have that um, salesman, saleswomen, that salesperson kind of angle to them. They're salespeople mm. that um, sell their products. And I take from that that there's a bit of a passion or something about them. They 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 can tell a story about their product because it is their product. The You've uh, got out, got your first job because you've had to in that scenario, I've uh, been told to, but you're with somebody who big brother um learning from was you conscious you was learning from them at the time was you sort of getting um pre like losing interest getting that buzz of like i'm in here i'm in this environment there's some people running their own business here as well and i'm out there selling and are you getting that sort of like hunger in your stomach during that period of time was that a bit too early on for you
0: yeah maybe but again I wasn't consciously like in any way shape or form I definitely wasn't consciously aware of that fact uh, and rather than being sort of cognizant of the fact that I want to learn from this guy because I can learn useful lessons and I can implement them into my life I was like 16 17 I just knew that he had the stuff that I wanted yeah. he had the skills that I wanted because the skills led to him having the bank account which led to him you know having a house and he had a Fast car, oh, TDI, yeah, yeah, and, and, and all it, and all this kind of stuff. So I was very. I've always been a, quite an open book, so I would you know be there early. I would stay there late. I would say to him, "How did you do that?" I'd be very. I wasn't sort of like cagely trying to work stuff out in the background. Yeah. I'd say to him every Saturday, "I'm I'm gonna try. And, I'm gonna beat you today in in sales because I'm just gonna prove what a good teacher that you've been, sort of thing." But yeah, I was. I was definitely learning. And absorbing but I wasn't conscious I was doing it for the golf <laughs> like, that, was, that was kind of my methodology if I if I learn this stuff I can have a golf TDI as well that was kind of as far as my train of thought went with that I decided in I do remember the life event so I, so I did the holiday repping thing really enjoyed it there had always been that entrepreneurial thread though so I was trying to make extra money while I was away as a holiday rep and then came back from me to holiday rep and I was a cabaret singer and I was doing all that then I was in a band then I went back to work by myself in Cyprus as a as a touring singer then I tried to do X Factor and all that kind of stuff and become famous and then Simon Cowell was like you're bang average I was like okay fine Simon <laughs> Cowell sort of stumped on my dreams a little bit but there'd always been that entrepreneurial thread and I ended up going and working in the music industry and um and the music industry I thought I didn't believe in a job for life but I loved it i loved it i loved the person that i worked with we're only like a two or three man company at its biggest but we were working with amazing bands and we were taking bands on tour and we were getting records played on the radio and all that kind of stuff and uh, i thought this is me set this is proper call. and then it got to the end of one of the months and um the person who owned the company said just a question just an idea i want to float it by you how would you feel about being paid in installments this month instead of being paid in one go and i was like I'd feel pretty bad about that because I need to pay my mortgage. Are you telling me there's no money in the company? And she just, and she said, yeah, that's exactly what I'm telling you. And I made a decision there and then that I wouldn't work for anybody else ever again and have all of my eggs in one basket because that's kind of the situation that I had. So that was probably the life event that made me go, right, I need to do something for myself, by myself. The I find it interesting that you're... T- The
1: point where you made the decision to go self-employed was off the back of a situation where somebody self-employed was telling you that their business was struggling. Yeah. And that's quite a strange time to pick that (laughs) because surely some some may look at that and think, wow, running your own business is really volatile Mm. because... The money, like the money has gone. You can't pay people's wages. Um, the safer option is to find a, another company to work mm. for, where that um, bird is around somebody else's neck, rather than take the opportunity to uh, run your own business. But you just mentioned there that that is when you, that was your moment, where he's like, "I'm not going to be beholden to somebody else. Mm. I'm going to start my own business." Uh,
0: Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Do you know what it was at the time? Again, whether it's that sort of like overarching sort of young confidence, because this was what, this was like 13 years ago, 12 years ago. So I was like like in my twenties, still sort of like young and naive enough. I I could just see all of the holes in what they were doing. I was like, it don't make any sense to do what they're doing in that way, but I couldn't convince them otherwise. So it's weird. So there's only two of us who worked in the company full time, but the person I was working for, she had a big, big, back history in the record industry. who's was known by everyone. was super, super successful. But it was just at the point where music was crossing over into streaming and digital mm-hmm. and social media was starting to really play a big role in it. And with the best will in the world, wonderful human being. And, you know, I haven't spoken to her for years and years, but her son reached out to me actually a couple of months ago. And um, mm-hmm. she she was like a, like almost like a mum figure to me. I, lo- I loved her dearly. But I could just see so many bad decisions that were being made that was almost being made with the mindset of somebody who had made all of their dough in music in the 80s and 90s where money was just getting chucked at people and I was like we don't live in that situation anymore you know like a an eight grand music video it's not feasible for most bands like we can get a videographer make something really simple let's do a lyric video let's do a digital lyric video for a thousand quid and then spend the rest on adverts like online adverts oh no that won't work blah 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 so I could see the holes in it so for me I get your question, it's a really good point. Rather than looking at it going, god business is hard I kinda of looked at it and went, gosh she's made some really poor decisions there. I could do this better. So what did you
1: um having gone through that experience, the your what were your next few steps like then and how do you sort of reshape your business and what you're doing um from those lessons learned from with that, you know? putting the ladder against a different wall. Yeah.
0: So as I mentioned earlier, I'd been doing a bit of property investing or getting into Mm -hmm. the world of property investing. So whilst I was um, doing the radio promotion by myself, I was still in that space. And I was like, I'm going to build a a property empire, which uh, grandiosely consisted of two um, buy-to-let units in Sheffield, (laughs) which was about 300 miles away from where I lived and about a six-hour round trip. So I was like, that's a clever idea. But for a multitude of reasons, that's what I had. Mm -hmm. So I was like, do you know what? If I double down into property, I already know it. I know a lot of the right people Then I think I can make a, a real good go of this. And I could see really easily with property that there was a, a way to have multiple streams of income rather than just being solely reliant on one thing. So, for example, with the buy to let properties, I thought, well, if I get up to like 10 units, then I can get to a place where four or five grand a month can come from just those little those little buy to let units. They don't need a lot of management. They're pretty you know, easy to, to self-maintain. And through doing great work in the music industry, I had somebody who was going to back me and said, if you need half a million quid, I'll give you half a million quid. Super low interest. He was a a Greek moneylender, Lovely fella, um, unless you owed him money. (laughs) Then he (laughs) he quickly became not a nice fella, which I never got to that point. He was a lovely dude to me always. Because he's like, I "I just believe in you. If you want half a million quid, it's half a million quid. Whenever you want it, just call it in sort of thing. I was like, OK, cool. But then equally at the same time, because I've been through a bit of property training, was like was again, unconscious incompetence, I don't know what I don't know, let's go and get educated. It might seem like a big upfront cost, but it's not as big of a cost of getting something wrong within property and then you really come unstuck. So from being educated in the property training space, I had lots of opportunities because I'd done entertainment, I could speak on stage, I knew a bit about marketing, I'd run my own companies. They asked me to come in and do training with them. So at one point I had the little buy-to-lets, I had a property management company because that was like a secondary income and that was managing 21 units with, of shared houses. We had like 93 tenants. We are doing about 60, 70 grand a month in rent roll from that. And I was also involved in a property trading company. So I had three different bits of income from one sector effectively, um, which seemed fantastic. The only thing was that I absolutely hated tenants and my whole thing was predicated on having tenants. I was like, my theory of like, enjoy what you do, I genuinely hated it. I absolutely categorically hated it. And I was like, oh my God, I've done it again. Why did you I, hate it? Because I didn't run it correctly. If I look back in retrospect, again, we were turning over, it sounds like big numbers, we're doing 60, 70 grand a month in, in rent roll, but there was probably net profit of that was about four or five grand. So it was very much a lifestyle business and we just couldn't get it to the point of not being a lifestyle business. Realistically, I should have employed a property manager I should have had somebody doing the viewings. You know, I missed my mates yeah. went and emigrated to the United States for four years. And I missed their leaving party because I sat watching a plumber who didn't know what end of a screwdriver to use, you know, bleeding a radiator in a tenant's bedroom at 11 o'clock at night. I was like, how have I ended up being here? I could, But again, in conscious incompetence, I didn't know what I didn't know about building that business. So um, yeah, retrospectively, I should have had some staff. I should have brought some staff in earlier. I feared having staff. And again, there's probably a lot of members of, of your community. When you go uh, you know, self-employed the first time, you're a sole trader, that first couple of staff, that first member of staff, going yeah. from zero to one, might as well be going from 10 to 1,000. I guess I've not done 10 to 1,000 yet. But it seems like such a big jump. It seems like such a, no one can do it as well as me. We've had conversations in the office and uh, uh, there's a
1: lot of talk about you know, property you can make. Um, you know, the one-pound properties as you uh, mentioned. Yeah, <clears throat> it's easy money. I am massively cynical. <laughs> yeah, so I'm. You're gonna right to me. You're right now to me. because I when you when you uh, when people promote and say I'll run courses on how you can make money out of property, mm. um, and you know, free to attend courses. You come along, you know, the one-pound property kind of thing. Um, sign up today to this course
0: for all the extra things I'm hugely cynical value stack come uh, over for my free <laughs> course It's only three grand to come on board I'm going to give you 10% of the information until you join the mastermind Yeah,
1: that sort of thing so I'm, I'm not a big fan of yeah. it yeah the, um, and then you've got the aspects the not so glamorous part of property in itself so my mm. brother uh, had some rental properties and the stories he's told me about when tenants have moved out and they've taken the boiler, the radiators, yeah, yeah. stuff like that, <laughs> yeah. they've literally ripped off the walls yeah. uh, and probably sold it for scrap or whatever yeah, they've yeah. done with it. And uh, he's had to go in and rebuild all this stuff or have a whole new yeah. system put in. Uh, you don't hear about that. Mm. But the, I've done it, I've had it. Yeah. it. It happens. It does happen. Yeah. Um, I'm interested where you, um, you, you literally just said yourself just there, you went into um, coaching mm. and that really took off. And then you chuckled to yourself there in a sense that, but you didn't, but uh, ironically, as in because uh, I you know, didn't have that knowledge,
0: but your business really took off on that. Why do you think that is? Do you know what it was? I've, I've been asked this a couple of times in the last couple of months and it, it makes you reflect back on it. I think we hit a sweet spot at the right time I don't think you can always account for timing. Personal development was kind of like really getting kind of cool here in the UK. I think we're, we're 10, 15 years behind the US. You know, like the idea its a very small percentage of people who would, you know, go to a Tony Robbins seminar over in the state, uh, over here in the UK, whereas in the States is more sort of mainstream. So I think we'd hit it at a good time. Um, we had a massive differentiator in the marketplace. Personal development was very... I guess the big companies were like the action coaches and the kind of, and those sorts of businesses. Not that there's anything wrong with action coach, but again, it's very vanilla in terms of their branding and their marketing and their messaging. Um, and we came into the marketplace like bulls in a china shop, doing something completely different. We were really clear on who our marketplace was. We were really, it was kind of like Neanderthal coaching, frankly. It was so basic, but it was basic accountability get people to take more action, get people to fail faster, give them the confidence to fail faster. We dived into uh, to podcasting in 2017, which was relatively early and that blew up and the podcast led to us being asked to go and speak on stage in South Africa. And then from that opportunity in South Africa, we got asked to come and do some big events in the UK. And then we got asked to go on stage with Les Brown at Westminster Hall and all this kind of stuff. So we just, op- action creates opportunity. Yeah. Um. Which ironically is a quote from a mate of mine who runs a property trading company down the road here in Northampton. Actually, um. Shout out to Lloyd if he hears this. And um. Him and Andy yeah. have built White Box in the way that they have. Yeah. Um. Because they wanted to build the antithesis of the smarmy snake oil one pound properties. Because they're doing developments. Like you get, yeah. if you're not getting into that for a quid. Like it's hard. Like all property is hard, but that's especially hard. But the rewards you know make it worth worth doing but yeah Lloyd's a great guy but um yeah so I think that's probably with that with that company we just we took we took a step and that would open another door and there was just this you know I was working with these two former professional boxing WWE um, uh, sort of like tryouts um it was just very very different and we just stood out in the marketplace we knew exactly what who our market was we knew exactly what we wanted to say we were unrelenting with our message and we just hammered social media and we the, it, again we're talking about fortuitous time and it was around that same sort of time where the likes of Gary Vee would talk about you know document what you're doing on a daily basis and Facebook we're doing Facebook, uh, Instagram were coming up with stories and all that kind of right. stuff and we just literally documented what we did you know you'd have thought that the opening of the envelope was the biggest thing in the world that was going on because that's how we made it seem from a marketing and a branding spin and in 18 months, we took our business from a standing start to doing, touching on a million quid as yeah. genuine idiots. But we just took, you know, we'd post 10 times a day on social media. Everyone's like, you know, that's too much. It was like, well, it's working. You yeah. know, you shouldn't do a podcast more than we're doing three podcasts a week. You should only do one a week. It's working. So we just took action, kind of got rid of the noise that didn't serve us and just unrelentingly marched in the direction that we thought to be correct. And I think there's something to be said for that. And even if ultimately, you're not going in the right direction. At least you've got to find out that you've got to the wrong place faster. Yeah. Rather than if like, nothing else. So, the, and
1: I'm, this is where I'm seeing the link jump uh, from there. You just mentioned like really getting onto the podcast mm. side very early on, which takes into where you are today. The, um, was that taken as a natural step um, or, or, or a conscious decision?
0: a little bit of both. So when I, um, something that I've sort of skirted over in this in this conversation because it hasn't come up, which ironically it normally does because I like to mention it. So I'd been on the radio um, in 2010. I got a gig on, on National Digital Radio and I was like, this is what I want to do. This is going to be unbelievable. This is amazing. But then it just, um, the ex-head of Radio 1 came to run the station. He was like, I just think you're awful. I'm going to sack you. <laughs> I was like, he was very open about it. A very, very awful man, but he was very open at least. And um, so that, so that was in twenty ten, and then I stumbled across podcasts in twenty twelve, right. and I just fell in love with them. I was like, "What are these things?" I used to get a podcast delivered to me via MP three. I used to pay ten bucks a month for this downloadable MP three every day before it was like on your mobile phone. That's how far back it was, and I just loved them. I was like, "Podcast, this is a thing, is it?" Like people are doing these it's things. You such can such a late doctor. When so, did you get into them? Um, after we started doing this
1: one. Oh really? Quite literally. Okay. So um, uh, and. I would turn around and um, Jacob, um, who I've, you know, people have seen on our socials and, you know, has his uh, Grow podcast that we've launched now and work. I credit uh, from when he started working for the firm, um, turn around, he would start saying we need, you know, one of the things I think we should do is a podcast. I was like, podcast? I never listened to him. don't have time for podcasts. I'd listen to Spotify. Massive on Spotify. I, I live on Spotify music but my playlist is so eclectic literally i go from fans in the opera to eminem on the same playlist <laughs> the um the algorithm must be going what <laughs> uh, yeah literally spotify's algorithm has no yeah it's got no clue yeah but i just such varied and i live off spotify all the time And i was like if i'm driving or i'm going i'll put music on and i'll just meditate um and he said do, do some podcasts so then i was like okay so i listened to a couple of podcasts um the, you uh, mentioned like you know we're not going to do a bar on here like you know get you to cry or whatever. Yeah. but like you know so actually is one of the first po- podcasts I listened to the early ones yeah and um, then a couple of others as well um, uh, Secret Leaders and ones like that oh it's great yeah yeah so I li- listened to a few I was like you know it's alright um, but then what I found myself was I was listening to them not to enjoy them but listen to as he was going oh, what could I do better yeah, um, you know what? What don't I like about this? What do I like about that? Uh, now I listen to a podcast every day on the way into work or on the way yeah. home, um, and I'm constantly listening to podcasts. And but a later adopter to it. But now I listen to podcasts m- on Spotify more than I do um, music. music. Mm. It's yeah. uh, surreal. But say for speaking to somebody who's like right in the early days of downloading an MP3 onto your MP3 player, um, clearly you know he was at the forefront of this evolution. I want to say technology. It's not technology, but what is it?
0: It kind of was oh, because, yeah. because it was how, um, so you mentioned it there. So back in the day when I first fell in love with them, as I say, I used to get an email through to me and then I got like an iPhone 3, I think it was, yeah. and it had like the big, adapter thing at the bottom yeah. and it linked for it your iTunes account Do you remember we you had like an iTunes that you had to like download and yeah. all that stuff and I think I still had like wired internet all the younger people are like what are they? like these two mm. granddads talking about this stuff but I had like wired <laughs> internet that, eh? into, into my laptop and I would put the cable in and I could download one synchronise it in, sync. Yeah. that's it it could sync your device it was like oh what's going to happen And um, so you could have like literally like two or three podcasts yeah. before you ran out of storage you have to remove them from the device but I was um so I was listening to these things. I was doing a commute to a, to a job that frankly I hated at the time, working in um, broadcast sales. Uh, this was between radio and the music industry gig. And I was like, God, these are amazing. This is almost like radio, but no one can sack you. Like, yeah. what, what a win-win. So I, that was 2012 when I really got into it. And I was like, oh, I should be doing this, I should be doing this, I should be doing this. Sat on the fence for five years. It's one of my biggest regrets if I, if I was to have a regret that I didn't jump in there sooner. Anyway, 2017 came around. And um, someone uh, who's a, a good friend of mine said to me, "Why, why are you not doing a podcast? Like, I'm listening to these stuff. I'm listening to, and like, I think you'd have a better conversation than that person. You should do this." I'm like, "Oh yeah, I keep meaning to." He's like, "Well, why don't you just do it? Just do it." So they sort of like said, "Right, well, I'll give you 28. I bet you in 28 days you can't launch a podcast. Bet you can't." <laughs> I think there's like a financial wager. I was like, "Now I had the bit between my teeth. Like, right, I'll prove, again, I'll prove you wrong." So I read every blog that you could read about it. I watched every YouTube video you could read, uh, to, could watch. And I listened to a podcast called How to Launch a Podcast podcast, brilliantly titled. And I listened to it three times. Once I listened, it was 20 episodes of under 15 minutes. I listened to it all through once without doing anything. Second time I listened to it and I took notes. And the third time when it would say to do something like set up the back end RSS feed or whatever, don't get too technical about it. But I'd, I'd pause the podcast and I would go and do the thing that it told me to do. Mm-hmm. So I launched it in, in March 2017. I didn't have much of a social media following, only like friends and family. I had no prior experience with podcasting, etc., etc. And all of the people that were doing it at the time were big celebrities. Obviously, the landscape's changed a bit now. But I was like, can a genuine nobody launch a podcast and make it work? And the day that I launched, Tim Ferriss was number one, Gary Vee was number three, and I was number two. Sandwich between them, like the meat of an influencer sandwich. And everyone was like, how's this random geezer like done this? And like any good marketeer, everyone was asking me, how did you do it? I didn't really know, but never let the truth get in the way of a good story. So I was like, oh, I've got some systems and processes. i would worked with like Nando's and Thomas Cook and Nissan and Xbox and Nintendo back in the day doing PR. So I just applied PR principles to the launch of this podcast, and it had worked. Um, and that was it. That was me off to the races. So I launched that first podcast. And then a mate of mine who was a coach said, could you launch a coaching podcast? Could you do the same for, for coaches? I was like, I don't know. I don't see why not. Let's do it. So we did it. And that was a success that ended up launching the coaching company then a pt asked me a financial advisor asked me and i basically was just doing one-to-one coaching with people i was just helped to start with just helped people because i liked podcasts i was like i'll see if if it'll work or not and then i developed this system so fast forward to now we've launched 167 podcasts for clients now around the world we've worked with you know military wives movie we've worked with um uh, actors athletes celebrities influencers all sorts of different people, mentors, coaches, experts. We've probably launched more shows than anyone else in Europe. And we still, the whole launch process now, six years later, is still the same one of how to plan, produce, launch, and grow a podcast that we learned, that I learned you know, six years ago from, from YouTube videos and blogs.
1: So are they, I think that's quite consistent with business advice when you're looking at business advice and so many things in general. The, the technology may change, but the underlying principles of good business mm. um, is always, it's the same now as it was 100 years ago, yeah. 200 years ago. Um, buy for X, sell for Y, and there's a profit in the middle, or whatever, you know, marketing, promotional, yeah. be where your customers are, whatever. They're all the same principles. Yeah. The, uh, when, um, there's, there's no way you're going to give any different answer this other than the one you're going to, going to give. Uh, but you've been through a whole different, varied, changing careers from coasting and not sure what you want to do, sort of making people laugh, and uh, you know, having sort of being happy in what you're doing. The uh, or going for the golf TDI. The, uh, <laughs> uh, good remember, <coughs> good remember what they may be. I keep going to say golf GTI, so it's a TDI. Uh, what those may be. When you look at what are you and the fun of property. When you look at what you're doing now, um, are you at your happiest?
0: Yeah. 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 And because it's because I've now taken the joy of actually running a business as well. Like that. When when I was in the music industry, the reason why I didn't want to leave it entirely to move to property to start with was because I thought that I loved music and I loved the music industry, but I didn't. I actually just loved the enjoyment of. What I was doing. I love the enjoyment of working with cool bands. I love the enjoyment of taking a, a, like a new artist and helping them to to break to the next level or, or whatever it may be. But what I didn't realize at the time is that I, I liked business and I thought that the thing that I liked was the music industry business, but it was just business in general. So now I would say that I'm at my happiest because I've got two things at play. I'm super, I love podcasts. I started out podcasts as a fan of them and I'm still more of a fan than a a worker in the podcast sector if that makes sense because of how many podcasts we've done now I've got a great reputation in the marketplace so I get asked to do cool stuff like Business Insider will reach out about an article or GB News will say hey can you come on to the TV and talk about this that and the other often like people who are big in podcasting will have conversations about you know what's coming up next and the podcast show will ask me to do stuff for them and, and that kind of stuff so that's super cool but I also get to have the enjoyment of the thing that i make and i also enjoy the business side of it as well so yeah and now i've also i think i've sort of almost like a triple enjoyment now that i understand how to i wouldn't say i know how to manage people as well as i can do yet yeah we're only a team of five people still so we're a relatively small company but now i understand the concept of how to get the most out of people and to bring somebody into your organization to make it all rises, you know, all boats rise in a high tide. If I can bring that person in and build the business up, then I think that's a complete win-win. So now I've got a passion for podcasting for people and for business that's all swirling. Now to to preempt that, you know, business is not easy. You're always gonna have challenges. You will have months where the cash flow will be tight or a big client leaves, or there'll be a client that comes on board and they end up being a nightmare, or the project you thought that was gonna be amazing doesn't end up being amazing or you know again when you get to a different level now we've got bigger companies that are looking to work with us and bigger influencers and bigger celebrities so there's more red tape and there's more stuff you have to tick off and there's always going to be a challenge it's never all beer and skittles Um but yeah I, I genuinely really really enjoy it and one of the things again the overarching principles that I guess I didn't realise at all at the time was that I wanted to have flexibility and freedom that was two of my core drivers flexibility and freedom and, and I wanted that because that's what my dad had you know when we were at school, my dad came in on a Wednesday afternoon and used to teach electronics because he could he ran a you know a, a company with twenty five staff, but he was always there to take us to football. he was always there for dinner on the table. he was always there if I got in trouble at school, which was <laughs> infinite amount of times he was there in the headmaster's office within half an hour, so actually the the driver that I've got is to have that freedom and flexibility as well. Um, but again, it's not always easy. It's not always, you know, rainbows and unicorns, you do get tough days. You do get the times you're like, Jesus Christ, is this all worth it? You know, you think back to that time you did have that employed job, that PAYE salary <laughs> with the pension contributions at the end of the month, you go, oh, would that, was that the easier thing? But ultimately, yeah, I, I think I love the game of of business. And I think maybe that was the thing that I was always chasing was the enjoyment of the game of it. So the, um, when you
1: how do you approach the, the game of it? When you're um, having those moments of, you know, I could, I could have a normal job the uh, and things are tough, what is the bit that wrenches on your gut to make you drag yourself out of bed? Um, is it just the game of it? Um, or is there something deeper that just may say, no, I'm getting out of bed and I'm going to go to work? I'm gonna
0: face that. I'm gonna to face today. Do you know what? Again, going back to sort of shouting out Lloyd, I think that whole mentality of that action creates opportunity. I don't I never, even in my, even in my darkest moments, even in really, really tough times, I never struggle to get out of bed. I never just wanna pull the the, the covers back over my head and just go back to sleep normally, because if it gets that bad, you, you can't sleep anyway. Uh, m- yeah. Most business owners will either have that thing where you can't get to sleep, or if you do manage to fall asleep, then you can't stay asleep, yeah. because of because of like, you know, your swirling mind and all the rest yeah. of it. So I, but I've never got an issue to, to get out because I always think that even at its toughest, I can outwork a situation. I don't think that's always to my benefit. I think sometimes I will work hard in in the absence of working smart, and sometimes I have to pull myself back and go, right, is this the smart thing to do here? Forget working hard. You're not trying to prove anything to anybody. You're not trying to, you know, 18 hour days as a badge of honor, I've done that. And I'm like, actually, that doesn't serve my greater purpose to be a good dad and a good husband and to be present with the family and all that kind of stuff. But I've I've just always believed that if you take a step of action in the right or the wrong direction, it will get you to an outcome. And ultimately, enough steps will get you to somewhere. So, uh, yeah. I, I, again, it's not sort of like a a love for the job or a, you know a love for the game that gets me out of bed. I just know that getting out of bed will be the resolution to the challenge, okay. even if you don't want to. I think I may know the answer of this from some of the things you said. But what you're doing it for? Because I enjoy it. I'm doing it because I enjoy it. I'd love I'd love to say that I'm trying to you know build an empire, build a legacy, but I, I don't think I'm at that stage of my career at the moment I just really enjoy it and I think you know that that, the aim of the game at the moment within three years I want to sell out my agency to a bigger agency group purely for the purpose of playing the game I've never I've never built a business and sold it so I want to I want to go through that process can I have I got the minerals because I think I have but maybe I haven't I might be completely useless so I'm doing it because I want to prove to myself that I can do it. Because I love the challenge of it. Because there has been time, you know, I've had opportunities even recently, you know, from the brand, the big brand work that I've done, I get a lot of like, sort of high net worth CEOs reach out and go, could you do like brand consultancy, I could quite easily take on two or three clients, make 20 grand a month and have a really comfortable life. (laughs) And sometimes I'm like, (laughs) I should definitely do that. But then the overarching thing is I want to, by December 2026, I'm going to sell out the agency even if i still work for that bigger group i'm going to sell the agency into a bigger media organization to prove that i can
1: not for the financial gain oh and that yeah yeah 100 yeah. yeah but it's interesting you say to prove that you can as opposed as your first point uh, statement yeah as opposed to you know to build a, a nest egg or whatever it's going to be or to get a buy a cast or whatever whatever it might be or to get the latest Volkswagen golf the, uh, <laughs> um,
0: your, your immediate go-to is to prove you can, can sell a business yeah because um, I think there's the steps uh, maybe that's the overall aim and the target but I think <laughs> subconscious to that you have to become the person who can do that yeah. I'm a big believer in be, do and have yeah. you have to be something then you have something then you can do something Cause, uh, but I think a lot of people get it the wrong way around they aspire to be, do and have but they want to do, have and be it's in the wrong yeah. order you know they they you know if you won't give a, a 10 out of a 100 quid you're not going to give a 100 grand out of a million you're just not that person if you're not going to back yourself on you know going on your side hustle you won't back yourself to create an empire so i think I, i'm more interested in the person i have to become i i together and it's a,
1: a same thing but slightly different as i always say that be the person you need to be yeah in that sense. Yeah, yeah yeah the uh so that, that's interesting in that sense that Okay, so that's your next objective uh, to go. Do, do you see anything beyond there at the moment where you are in your...
0: No, not again, I've done that whole thing. I don't think I'm very good. I know there's no good or bad. It's you know, all a perception, but whatever. Um, I've tried to do that like five-year goal, 10-year goal. What's your legacy going to be? Blah, blah, blah. I just can't see it. Yeah. And I've tried, you know, every, every you know, New Year's Eve, you sit there going, right, what am I going to do? Who am I going to become? who could I forecast myself you know, becoming in the ultimate? I, I don't know the answer to it, but I can see three years down the line. Yeah. I can see it. And I've been reading a great book for businesses of a certain size, Traction, an amazing book by Gino Wickman. Um, I don't know if it's come up on podcast episodes before, but that sort of gives you a, a premise of what you're going to build in the next sort of 36 months. And that just seems to fit really nicely with me. If If I could sell, you know, in let's say December 2026, that's that's my sort of sale date. I sell out the agency, or I sell the, I shouldn't say sell out because it's got a negative connotation. I sell the agency into a bigger organisation and they say, hey, we want you to step back from the sort of the day-to-day operations because you're an awful operator. You should be here because you're good for morale and you know the industry really well and blah, blah, blah. And you can just spend all of your days making cool content, helping people to achieve their own goals through and or Chief content, yeah, yeah, something, yeah. Yeah, something <laughs> wafty like that. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> need one of them like on a plaque on your desk, then I'd be quite content to do that. Like making yeah. like today, for example, got up super early, did all my Wim Hof breathing and all that stuff that I like to do to be a good human being went out for, a, you know, aspirational walk, took my kids to school, drove up here, got a client meeting after this, I'll drive back home, uh, happened to be super fortunate to be married to the love of my life. We have a really nice life. If that's it, I'm, I'm kind of comfortable with it.
1: Yeah. No, it's um, very. There, you just said it now, and it's something I've, you know, I firmly believe in. There's no right or wrong. There's desired outcomes, and is that what you want? Mm. Every action has an outcome, and if you do an action and you and that the outcome happens, and if that's what you want, and that's um, right. You know, uh, some coaching training I've done for young people has that concept of. Mm. Uh, to start the course and working with this charity is there is no right or wrong. So it's drilled into you as a part of your coach training is like get the whole concept of right or wrong out of your head. Mm. Um, you're working with these young people and they have desired outcomes they need for their lives. So you just work working on cause and effect. Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, and it's important to be aware of that. You, yeah. You know, to your point, it's really important to be aware of that because I think otherwise you can look at, I know we sort of mentioned him a few times, you can look at like a, a Stephen Bartlett, you can look at all the people that he's interviewing in his podcast or high performance podcast with Jake Humphries and Professor Damien Hughes. I've, I've interviewed Damien for my own podcast, so I know him quite well. And you can look at all of these people that you hear or see on media pedestals and go, oh, I should want to do that. I've got no desire to build a 200 person agency and sell it out for you know, valued it up at 500 million quid. I don't think that I will ever be the person that I need to be in order to run that outfit. But what I can see is that I can have a 25 person agency that turns over 12, 15 million quid a year that has a good 30% profit margin in it that gets sold out at a multiple of eight times revenue. Happy days. I can see, yeah. I can see that person. I can see that becoming me. I'm. I'm not that person yet, but I can see that I could become that person. I can see that I want to become that person. I don't want to, own i don't think or operate a publicly listed company i don't want to be a ceo of i've got a mate of mine who's the ex head of um, ex ceo of thomas cook you know, I had 1.12 thousand staff i don't i just don't want it i've seen the grey hairs on him i don't like I don't want it but i think it's really important to be aware of what you actually want like in your yeah. soul and it's not to get sort of like all like spiritual woo woo like oh the law of attraction but be aware of what it is that you're actually chasing because otherwise, you'll create disalignment consciously or subconsciously. You'll create a disalignment. And um, you know, if I said to you in this podcast, I'm gonna have a you know 500-people agency with Google-style slides from one floor to the other and fake grass, and we're gonna have a you know like a juice bar, and everyone has to have a lemongrass juice shot at the beginning of the day, and we have a big office in central London, it's not what I aspire to have, but I could pretend to because that's what everyone's saying that you've got to have, but a 25-person office where I get to have the freedom to, to do amazing podcasts and great great content and be a thought leader within my space and help other people to launch amazing podcasts that can help them to explode their brand yeah I can see that
1: yeah,
0: that's some would use the
1: expect, being true to yourself mm. which is very important it's been fantastic having a chat with you James the, thank you uh, very much um, I like I, I loved the I see um, within your journey as what you're doing it's um, you've flown like water down a stream, as, sort of, as you're sort of talking. Where you With a few rocks in between. A few sorry. rocks <laughs> in between. Um, so um, sort of starting off probably sort of coasting on the start, but everything, um, whether you was conscious of it or not, comes across as that you knew or you internally knew what makes you happy, what you wanted to do, but the path wasn't clear to you um, right at the outset and then now it's great to hear that you're enjoying what you're doing you're working in podcasts earlier earlier understanding of podcasts and listening to it i'm i'm pleased that you like the environment here as somebody who's new to uh, new to podcasting um thank you for sharing your journey it's been great speaking to you thank you for having me i appreciate it i hope you enjoyed this interview uh, please remember to hit follow on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. It really helps the algorithm and push this podcast up through the rankings and also leave some feedback. I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Drive. Until next time, this is Drive, the small business podcast from UKBF.